One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Lord, would you come and uh, speak to us through your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Welcome. If you're new, my name's Dave. As you can tell, I'm one of the priests here. And uh, it's great to have you with us, especially as we're journeying. It's kind of back to school. And, uh, well, not back to school. I'm, I plan to never go back to school. Uh, but always be learning, um, right? And, but it's, we're in that season where the world around us seems to be starting again. And here we have these words of Jesus that center around the mealtime. Now, we had a very exciting moment at the end of last year's school year. Our oldest son, Ethan, is about to hit that threshold of 12, and he was invited. Well, he wasn't invited because he wouldn't do it, but we were invited to register him for cotillion, right? Which is social etiquette for, for boys and girls. And uh, I, I, you know, I thought, well, let's, let's, let's go for it. This couldn't hurt, could it? And, um, and, you know, I was thinking about that this morning is that um, a lot, Luke, all of the action in Luke happens around the table. Of all of the Gospels, Luke has more dinner scenes than any of the other Gospels. And uh, what is going on there? Why? Why does so much happen around the table? Why, even today, do we have... Uh, such a preoccupation around what goes on at the table. For example, did you know that in New York City, the tips, the, the wages of waiters and waitresses has dropped significantly by 25%. Do you know why? People haven't become cheap. Selfies, photographs of your meal before you eat has increased the amount of time at your table so that the amount of people who sit at the table and who can tip you has gone down. Isn't that fascinating? That's just one of the many repositories of, of useless information that I, I seem to have gathered. And so we're gonna look at this thing about meals and Jesus and, uh, and see what's going on here. Is, is he providing etiquette in these two parables? Because everyone's watching him. Have you ever been to a meal where everyone's watching you? What's he going to do? Will he know what the fish fork, which one is the fish fork? 
I'm just used to the wooden ones, you know. You get the fish and chip shops that you use as a harpoon to eat in England for the, for the chips. But let's turn to the passages. Let's look and see. So we have here in Luke 14 two parables about feasting. And what Jesus is doing, he's picking up out of the prophetic literature of Isaiah a very important prophecy, a very significant um, prophetic word of what it will look like when Messiah comes when the Lord of hosts comes to live amongst the people. And this is from Isaiah 25. It says this, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. So the answer to all of our problems is a meal. And you see that. Why do we have a fascination now to capture the excellent food we're about to eat? I think it's because somewhere, even subconsciously, there's a sense that there might be something here that is not of this world. Maybe not. Maybe I'm just over, overthinking it. But this is really what Jesus is doing. So we see here in verse 1 of, of Luke 14, one Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. So the ruler of the Pharisees has invited Jesus to a meal, and all our eyes are on Jesus, what will he do? And just like today, there are ways to behave at the table, there are things that you do, and there are things that you don't do. The hardest rule in our house we have to enforce is no books at the table. No books at the table, because, you know, what is it about reading and eating? It, to me, it just guarantees a mess. That's why I wear black all the time, to cover up the stains. But, you know, it, what is going on? And in this first one that we have, the parable of the wedding feast, it doesn't immediately present as a parable. It looks like Jesus is talking about stuff of cotillion. It looks like advice about how to behave at supper, You want to avoid embarrassment in front of fellow guests? Take this top tip. But Jesus didn't come to simply offer good advice. He isn't here just to talk about what to do and what not to do. He often conducts himself in a very calculated way, sometimes to cause embarrassment on the proud. And in earlier on, we don't have it, well, in verse 7, we're told that this is a parable, which means that it has at least a double meaning. So there is advice, it's a two for one, there is advice, but there's also a parable here. So what is Jesus talking about and what is he doing? Jesus uses the meal, the table, as a vehicle to turn the world upside down or right side up, depending on your point of view. Jesus is turning things upside down and he's acting in a way that is radically generous 
and socially unacceptable. Generosity that is socially unacceptable because he's being generous in a way that you just don't behave that way if you're really a religious leader. And so Jesus is doing two things at once and he's associating with the wrong kind of people, he's touching the untouchable, and he's calling people to him who are nobodies, who aren't influencers. He's calling business people to him who are kind of failed business people. They don't have their MBA. He's calling um, zealots, people who just want to burn the world down and start it over again. And these are the people that Jesus is calling to him, not the respectable, not the social elites, not the people who have a reason to, in their minds, be at the table. So this parable then, verses 7 to 11, isn't so much about good advice for social occasions, The real meaning is to be found in the warning against pushing yourself forward in the sight of God. In Jesus' day, as it still is today, people found ways of thinking that they deserved to be in God's presence. They came up with ways of thinking that they deserved the blessing of God. And the root of it is pride. Pride notoriously is the great cloud that blots out the sun of God's generosity. Take me, for example. If I reckon that I I deserve to be favored by God because of my theological education, maybe because of my social standing, Not only am I broadcasting that I don't need his grace and his mercy and love because I have a place there, but I'm implying that those who don't deserve it shouldn't have it. If I say I deserve to be in God's presence because of what I've chosen to do with my career, because I've invested you know, in my education, and I follow, I say the right prayers, I know my way around the prayer book, frontwards or backwards, and, you know, everything else, and can, can orchestrate a service. And if I trick myself into thinking, no one ever says I'm really proud to be chosen, to be God's follower. But we can lull ourselves sometimes, I can, I'll speak for myself, to think that I deserve. I deserve to be in God's presence. And I lose sight of the fact that I don't. None of us do. But he has chosen to make a place for us. And so this is what Jesus is pushing back on him. So the the Pharisees are watching him closely, but the power of his healings, the power of his message is too strong for them because they're so blinded by religion and their own view of how things should happen. In their minds, they deserve the place of honor because they are doing it all right. They even have the right political ideology that lines up with the faith. They think they have a place of honor at the table. And this religious pride, this small-mindedness, pushes itself forward, and the casualty are those who need to hear the message of God's love the most are left behind. 
So what is Jesus doing here? He's turning the world upside down with this form of social generosity, and he's confronting this religious elite with a large-hearted love by doing all the right things. No, doing all of the wrong things in all of the right way. That makes sense. Jesus is making the point that we're all called the same healthy dependence on God's love and the same generosity and sharing it with those in need. So in Jesus' mind, generosity isn't so much about what you do. And so it, in Jesus' mind, let me get this right, generosity is as much about what you do in social situations as it is about what you do with your money. You didn't have to convince a Pharisee to give their money. How they gave was a bit tricky, you know, like before tax, after tax, you know. Do the expenses I incur on the way to church count towards the tithe, you know, all that kind of stuff. But how you behave, your social interactions can be as generous as your offerings. Hospitality. In England, we called them dinner parties. It sounded great. You know, do you want to come to supper? Do you want to come to a dinner party? Well, I don't choose dinner party. That sounds fancy, like something out of Bridget Jones' diary, if you're old enough to remember that movie. bit dated now. No? Classic? Okay, carry on. Um, But the idea of this kind of social response, of social generosity, isn't really about the lavish meal that's put on. It's not about the spread that you capture with a photograph. But it's about how you act around the table. And it's by being present to those who are with you. And so when Jesus says in the second parable, don't invite a friend or family member to to a dinner party because they'll be able to repay you. Instead, invite someone who isn't a friend Invite someone who you wouldn't normally associate with. Invite someone who is poor. Invite all these others. Why? So that the generosity of God can be put on display. The last time I spoke on this, um, it's been a while, made the similar points. We suddenly were flooded with invitations to a meal. And I wanted to ask, so... How do you see me really as a, you know, someone as a social outcast and nobody, you know? So don't feel the need to invite me to supper. No, I'm kidding. I'll take the invitation. What are we, what are we eating? No, let me carry on. What does it mean to be present? What does it mean to be present? To be present at table with people you don't know is to offer them something It's to be ready to give more of your attention than is expected. And it's incredibly generous. To sit and to listen and to give the other person the gift of being heard. That's the kind of generosity that Jesus is talking about. Because if you do that with someone, usually when we sit down with friends or family, we kind of know where they stand on the issues. You know, you can kind of prep yourselves for what's probably going to come up, 
You know, we pro may probably talk about a conspiracy theory if, so if so-and-so comes. Oh, we will indefinitely talk about the cheese market because they have a fascination with making their own cheese, right? Or, or whatever it is. But when you invite someone you don't know, who's from a different background than yourself, to be present to them, to listen to them, you really have no idea often what they're going to come up with. And the whole point, when you look at Jesus and how he's present to people, is that he's creating a space to make the other person feel like they deserved to be there. To be present is to be ready to give more of your attention than is expected. And that's incredibly generous. To sit and listen, give the other person the gift of being heard. You can tell it's happening when you find yourself saying, tell me more about that. Or they ask the question, what do you think? Tell me a bit about yourself. When was the last time someone asked you those things? That kind of gift of allowing people to be present is in short supply today. But this is one of the ways Jesus invites his followers to be generous. For a time, COVID restricted and hindered the church in using two of its great tools. And those tools are the gift of hospitality and the ministry of presence. Both are forms of generosity because they turn the world upside down. And we all need to practice because it doesn't come naturally. We all need to keep practicing our hospitality and to be present. So, as a church, if you've been the last couple of weeks, you've heard us talk about it. We have, we're planning to do something that is going to really help us practice in how to be present and be hospitable. And it's, it's a tool that has helped many people in their faith. It's called the Alpha Course. And it's an opportunity to come, to sit down over a meal, to hear a little presentation about the Christian faith, and then to be heard as you're invited to share what your thoughts, your feelings, whatever it is, what struck you about what was presented. But I don't want you to take my word for it. So Mary Beth, would you come and join me? I don't know if you've had the opportunity to meet Mary Beth Allen. She and her husband Hunter and their children attend here at St. Bart's. And um, we have done Alpha together and I thought it'd just be great to interview her to see what she thought about it. So, Mary Beth, welcome. Thank you. Yes. Well, there we go. Hello. Tell us. <laughs> um, why did you do Alpha the first time, which was, I don't know, a few years ago? Yeah. Um, the first time, I think they, it was pretty heavily promoted. Yes. And so I think Thank I... Thank you. So you did it because I asked you to. <laughs> I and did. That, that's, that's all. Thank Very you. Very obedient. That's a great interview. No. <laughs> No, yeah, I think we were just really curious about, Hunter and I both, about what it meant and like kind of what it, was it like super seeker friendly or was it like kind of 
I don't know, it was a lot of curiosity that kind of had me going. And um, so Alpha is described as a place to come and really to explore the big questions of life. And you were already a believer when you did Alpha, it's fair to say. So yes. Alpha really is for everyone, those who would say they have a faith and those who don't. Tell us, what was your experience on, on the Alpha course? You know, I thought it was really interesting because coming as somebody who already believed in Jesus, I wasn't quite sure how it would, you know, like, but I thought it was wonderful because it was great, one, to just be reminded of like, yes, this is actually what I believe, this, this is true, but then also to like have conversation with others and for us to actually grapple with harder concepts and then like, a safer dialogue, but also to like actually ask the hard questions. And I don't know, it was just pretty encouraging to be with people who, some people who legitimately didn't know if they believed in God and others who had an incredibly abundant faith, all of us sitting at the same table. It, I don't know, there's just something really sacred to me about that and sweet. So that was kind of where Last my question. So having done Alpha and then having helped on the Alpha course, what kind of practical difference would you say that kind of experience has made in your life? Honestly, like I think it's made me unafraid to ask questions of others. I'm not much of an evangelist, and it's never really been my gifting. Um, but I think practically it's just given me more of a boldness to just talk to whomever and ask them. And when someone says something that kind of leads an opening, it's like, offered more opportunity to ask questions of that person and to feel like the freedom and the like the desire to want to like listen to other people and to where they're coming from and practically it's also just enriched my faith and brought me a lot closer to the Lord and helped me kind of feel more fully immersed in who the Lord is but also it practically also connected me to my community which was pretty also great it was a great way to connect with others and, um, but also to connect with the Lord. Mary Beth Allen, everyone, round of applause. So if you think about the kingdom that Jesus is establishing, where he's turning the world upside down, just think about the three things that Mary Beth just said. It helped her feel more connected to her local community. It gave her the confidence to ask questions. And she was enriched by meeting with people who were in different places in their faith. And so I want to encourage you that to, to sign up and to come and join us for Alpha. More about that in a moment. Our worship service, our worship services always end up at the table. And there's a reason for it. Because Jesus invites us to receive generously from him. We come and we receive from him though we don't deserve it. And Jesus' promise in that is that he's always present with us and present to us at his table by the Spirit. So think about this. The whole reason why Jesus is talking about meals is on, on, in Isaiah 25, it says, I'll read it to you again, on this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a, a feast of rich food, 
a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine and well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. On Golgotha, a mountain outside of, of Jerusalem, Jesus, the Lord of hosts, did the work to prepare a feast because on that mountain, he swallowed up the covering that is cast over all people. He swallowed up death so that he could wipe away tears from all faces and dismantle the power of sin in our world. And he has set a table for us and invites us to come and receive. That's what communion is all about. Though we didn't deserve it, he has generously done it for us so that we have a place at the table. And if you read Isaiah, the picture he paints is that the poor, the nobodies, the broken, the forgotten, not only do they have a place at the table, but theirs is a place of honor. And so it ends with a banquet at a table where we come and eat without having to buy because he's all purchased, been purchased for us. And if you'll permit me, I'd love to just close by talking about something I really know nothing about. Some of you will. Micro ring extensions. Does anyone know what those are? I had no idea what they were. Do you know what they are, Blake? Yes. They are a form of hair extensions. As you could tell, I've never had hair extensions. I never will. Unless something changes. I was invited to coffee on Thursday. Really, it was a second lunch, but I didn't eat, so I had coffee. And at the end of that, I overheard someone talking about what she did and saying, it's not important. And I kind of, you know, and I just kind of thought, oh well, whatever. Uh, but then I, I looked and it was someone I would normally never talk to just because the, it's just, she's very different from me. And, and um, I looked and she, she was obviously in the beauty industry. And, uh, and I went up to her and I said, oh, I just couldn't help but overhear what you said. And she said, yeah. And, um, and I said, well, you, you do know that like beauty is really important to God, don't you? They said, well, what do you mean? And I thought, well, you know, Esther. And she said, Who, who's Esther? I said, well, she's a friend of mine. And No, no, I didn't say that. Um, and she's a woman in the scriptures in the Old Testament who went on to save the Jewish people from annihilation. But before she could do it, she received two years of beauty treatments. And she looked at me and she said, I would love to hear more about that, but I've got to go back to work. I said, okay, well, where do you work? She says, sports clips. I said, great, I'll come get my hair cut. And so I went, I was like, what am I doing? Um, and I sat down in her chair, and she started to cut my hair, and we started to talk. And I started to say, you know, beauty is really in the very beginning of Genesis all the way to Revelation. And we start talking, and I say, beauty is always a sign in the wilderness of God's presence amongst his people.
I was like, wow. And then we start talking, I start saying stuff, I start saying, you know, beauty really reassures us that goodness is still real. And it's more real than harm or scarcity or evil, and beauty reassures us of abundance, especially that God is absolutely abundant and good and wants to be with us in life. And that beauty reassures us that there's plenty of life to be had. Beauty's a gentle grace. Like God, it rarely shouts, rarely intrudes. Rather, it woothes and soothes. And I say to, the, I say to her, her name's Jasmine, I say, Jasmine, what you do is important because our world needs beauty right now. And that's why what you do is important. And she says, well, I haven't been to church in a long time. I said, that's fine. And I said, well, can I come to yours? I said, we'd love it. We meet at nine in the morning, and it became obvious by her reaction that that might not be a time that she could make. I says, all right, some come at 9.20. No dice. And I said, but you know, I tell you what, I tell you what would be even more fun, and what you could do is you could come and join us on this Tuesday night thing we're doing with barbecue. And she said, I love barbecue. Yeah. And we're just going to meet together for a few weeks and just come to the first one and we'll, we'll eat together and then we can, you can ask all your questions. And we're all going to be asking questions and we'd love for you to come and join us. You might like it. And you know what? That was an incredible encounter and I almost missed it entirely. I was so preoccupied that Thursday on how tired I was, I almost didn't speak to Jasmine. I wouldn't have learned to think about micro ring extensions, how much it costs to have them put in, and how you could build a, a, a successful business model on uh, you know, helping Caucasian women have hair extensions. Who knew it was a market? I wouldn't have heard about her life. I wouldn't have heard the story of how she almost joined the Navy instead of becoming a beautician. And I would have missed out on possibly one of the most incredible encounters I had with someone last week. So I'm doing Alpha because I need to practice on how to be present. I need to practice hospitality. Because we can often think that the way that Jesus wants us to interact with the world is some complex series of arguments based on apologetics, and I love those. And, you know, I love people who like to debate and argue with people with different points of view, but I am so past that. But it's important. We need to know why we think these things and be able to talk reasonably about the faith. But I'm up for meeting new people and asking questions and saying, tell me your story. What's going on in your life? What led you here? I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the prospect of doing it with you. And I'm excited to see who the Lord will bring our way as we do this. So micro ring extensions. What more will we learn as we do this together? The kingdom of God, according to Jesus, isn't about whether you deserve it or whether what you're doing is, is making you pleasing in the eyes of God because he's already done it. You're already pleasing in his eyes. The kingdom is found at table 
I dare suggest over barbecue, interacting with people you might never interact with and making a space for anyone to come because Jesus has made it possible for all of us to sit at his table, not at the kids' table, but at the table at a place of honor. Let me pray. Lord, would you be with us as we journey, as we live in this cultural moment where so much is in the air. We ask that you would help us follow the example of your son. We ask that you would teach us how to be present, that you would lead us in our hospitality, that all, everyone in East Dallas would know would come to a place of knowing that you love them and that there is a place of honor prepared for them at your table. So would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you meet with us? Would you move in us? And would you move through us? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.